The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 269. I hope that you guys are doing very well today. If you are struggling with OCD or anxiety, then you can get a free session with me to get that. All you need to do is to head over to my website, robertjamescoaching.com. There you can uh, book yourself that free session directly. uh, Or if you prefer, you can send me a message and let me know about what you're struggling with. Now, in today's podcast, we're in for a real treat because we're speaking uh, with somebody who's been working in the field of psychology for many years, has an absolute uh, enormous wealth of experience uh, to share. And and that person is uh, Kirk Schneider, uh, PhD. He is a leading spokesperson for existential humanistic and existential integrative psychology an adjunct uh, faculty member at Saybrook University and Teachers College, uh, Columbia uh, University, and a co-founder and and current president of the award-winning Existential Humanistic Institute. He was also a 2022 candidate for president-elect of the American Psychological Association. Dr. Schneider is a fellow in seven divisions of the APA, the uh, recipient of the Rollo May Award from Division 32 of the APA for Outstanding and Independent Pursuit of New Frontiers in Humanistic Psychology, and the author and editor of 14 books. Um, these include the paradox, uh, paradoxical self, horror, and the and the holy, the psychology of existence with Rollo May, existential integrative psychotherapy, existential humanistic therapy with uh, Aura Krug, awakening to all, the spirituality of all, the polarized mind, the depolarizing of America. And his latest book, Life Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. Dr. Schneider's current focus, which draws on the psychology of Otto Rank, is on the existential basis of, as well as, alternatives to polarized states of being. For more information on Dr. Schneider's work, you can visit at www.kirkschneider.com. Now, clearly, Kirk is somebody with a huge amount of experience, a big bulk of work behind him uh, with all these books that he's written. And he's somebody who really likes to go deep into psychology. Um, And so I I think this is a really useful episode because so much of the time, rightly or wrongly, we tend to focus on uh, therapists and and people who are working, you know, with ERP, um, which is obviously a very important part of the puzzle. Um, of dealing with OCD in the long term. 
But uh, but also, you know, I think it is a good idea, not just a good idea. I think it's actually essential to also address some of the underlying issues that might actually be the basis for OCD in the first place. And really, that's uh, a lot of what we're talking about today is is that looking at topics like trauma, looking at some of the underlying causes of anxiety and and how things like uh, depth psychology and um, existential psychology can be used to help people to to explore themselves a little bit more, um, you know, in order to to perhaps let go of some you know, really unfortunate and self-limiting beliefs that maybe they've had for a long time or to let go of some, you know, traumatic events that they've been holding on to. It's so important um, that we that we do this as well as working with things like accept, um, acceptance commitment therapy, um, ERP and uh, all of the other things that we do to try to manage OCD more effectively. Um, as always, if you have any questions at all about anything that we do discuss today, please do feel uh, feel free to, to get in touch and let me know. Many thanks to Kirk for coming on the podcast and sharing all this very valuable information. And uh, I really hope that you enjoy. Hi, Kirk. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Robert. Now it's great to it's great to have you on. Um, so obviously you're you're a psychologist. You have uh, an enormous wealth of uh, experience and knowledge um, about about anxiety and uh, about psychology. So um, it's it's kind of uh, hard to know where to start in a way. Um, but perhaps we could start with you know. Why, why did you end up in the, the field of psychology? It's pretty clear for me. I, I, I was almost born into psychology. My father was a school teacher, but he eventually became a professor of education. And he was immersed in psychological topics since I was a baby. Uh, he was reading uh, Eric Fromm and Abraham Maslow and many of the humanistic psychologists from from day one that I can remember. I'm surrounded by his books and articles. And my mother was a psychologically minded uh, television and radio spokesperson, actually, in the late 50s and early 60s. Really a pioneering woman of of that Mm. time. And uh, she actually uh, went into psychoanalysis um, because another part of my sort of, well, very intense introduction to psychology was that when I was close to three years old, my seven-year-old brother died of a a barrage of diseases Mm. after about a 10-month struggle. And uh, this caused, as you can imagine, a huge upheaval in my parents and uh, to some degree parenting uh, mm-hmm. because my my mother in particular was was overwhelmed and so there were periods of time where I uh, you know spent uh, some time in isolation or apart from my mother uh, I, I guess I was raised at points by my grandmother, 
who did the best she could, but uh, she tended to be, according to my father, pretty hyper in terms of emotionality. Mm. Anyway, there, there was I, I I was really imbued with a great deal of fear and anxiety about death, dying, disease. Mm. And I, I was having a lot of trouble as a as a very young kid from three to about six. And my father did the best he could. He also obviously was struggling mightily with losing his first son. Um, but my mother actually uh, asked her analyst to refer a child analyst to me. And again, this was quite unusual. We were we lived in a working class, middle class neighborhood. It's not a typical thing. So I feel very blessed to, have, again, have had parents who were tuned in to that degree. And, and this man was uh, middle-aged, um, but I, I think that he probably helped to salvage my young life in many ways, because I, I was... I was losing touch with reality in some ways. I was really struggling, a lot of rage, crying, night terrors, fears of monsters, you know, taking over. Mm, absolutely. Uh, in any case, uh, that was pivotal and, and really, uh, I would say, my introduction to a whole path to psychology especially depth psychology. Okay, fantastic. So what was it then about about that, um, you know, that uh, initial uh, therapy that you did that had such a profound impact on you? Because it, it sounds like it really did help. Well, I yes. I, he, first of all, I believe that he modeled... A, a person who seems seemed to have been through a lot himself. I mean, I, I get, I got the sense that he was a, a quite seasoned guy. You know, in my very young mind, I was only six, but <clears throat> I, I felt very held by him in that way and mm. safe. Uh, he created an atmosphere where I, I felt like I could say anything, uh, feel anything, and he would be able to hold it and and work with me on it. Uh, ask questions uh, to help me to to look more in depth at you know what it was that I was really so worried about uh, mm. uh, that I was struggling with. I'm sure he helped me to keep things into a more realistic perspective. but I, I think that the main healing was his, what I would say was a rock solid presence. He was profoundly present with me. Uh, and again, I had the sense that I, I could be with a whole range of, of very tumultuous uh, feelings, uh, imaginings. Mm. Um, Yeah, especially fear. Absolutely. It sounds also like a, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a real gift in a way. Obviously, the trauma itself incredibly difficult and going through something like that at such a young age 
you know, must have been so hard. But to uh, to have parents who had that uh, awareness of the importance um, yeah. of of therapy at at yes. that time, yes. you know, uh, what what a gift that you were able to get that, and 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 somebody as well that was you know so uh so able to hold that difficult space for you um to explore what you were were feeling um okay and you know fast forward yeah many years um and more more recently you you uh wrote this book um life life enhancing anxiety is is that correct yes yes yeah key to a sane world yeah okay can you can you tell us a little bit about that then please and and how that links into to the experience you just described there well it's it's pretty direct and i really wrote that book from a very personal standpoint that i'm describing to you now as well as professional as a psychologist and having observed a lot of people struggling with anxiety and in state hospitals and psychiatric clinics, you know, as well as private practice. Uh, I would, to put it in in kind of a summary, as a kid in that analysis, I moved from a place of intense terror and and paralysis in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. emotional paralysis to gradual incremental intrigue to be able to ask questions to explore what I was going through with my analyst to eventually and well after the therapy as well becoming actually fascinated uh, more and more open to and able to be present to the unusual uh, mm. and e- even what would be very threatening earlier on. So I, I actually started uh, becoming very interested in science fiction, reading science fiction and the great television programs of the time, Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, you know, very provocative and mm. uh, fascinating uh, looks into strange people, beings, you know, uh, possibilities of science. Yeah. Uh, questions of meaning and purpose in life. So I, I was really ripped open to these bigger questions about living because of my trauma. I mean, that if you want to say a silver lining, I certainly wouldn't wish it on anyone uh, to have a trauma and certainly extremely tragic with my brother but uh but uh if one can work with it that ripping open can be horrifying but it can also if one can stay with it and work with it can open new worlds and new possibilities mm. so it, that eventually uh led me to being more and more interested in psychology uh, why people behave the way we do and uh, and that 
eventually uh, led me to uh, depth psychology in particular and existential psychology, which attempts to go to the root mm. of our struggles. And so it's been a long trajectory. Uh, my first book was The Paradoxical Self. Uh, toward an understanding of our contradictory nature. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that again reflected very squarely what I went through. Mm. And that whole abrupt encounter with that which is different and other, which I, I think is a human condition, actually. Um, <coughs> so I, I've been connecting a lot more with Otto, Otto Ronk's work, an early psychoanalyst who actually was exiled from the psychoanalytic community because he differed some with Freud. But his point was that we are traumatized right from birth because that's where we move from a place of relative unity and quiescence to sudden abrupt pandemonium yeah, and, and overwhelm. And we encounter radical difference, contrast, contradiction, and it's very threatening. And depending on how that's held, by the parents, the culture, whether it's fear-based or more courage-based, love-based, um, supportive, that can set the path for the child. And of course, trauma can can just bring us back into that whole groundlessness and helplessness that we feel uh, at mm. that point of birth. Yeah, in a very rude way, but. To get back to your question about life-enhancing anxiety, well, I define life-enhancing anxiety as the capacity to live with and make the best of the depth and mystery of existence. Wow. It's <laughs> a big one. Yeah. Um, put it another way, to live with and make the best of the contrasts and contradictions of living mm. or of existence. Mm. And uh, that means being able to have access to our deepest dreads, as well as our most dazzling desires, um, to uh, be able to connect with you know, one's thoughts, feelings, body sensations, imaginings to the degree possible. And this is what good depth existential therapy provides is a space where one can learn and practice the skills to be more present to one's whole self and to these anxieties, the life enhancing anxieties, these deeper anxieties that I believe and many others uh, are necessary to living a fuller, richer life mm. and not a life that's closed off by all kinds of fears, terrors. And, and that, you know, is basically, well, creates our identification with very narrow, often devaluing uh, views of ourselves and others. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so life enhancing life enhancing anxiety also uh, it's it's a a term that that brings anxiety more front and center for our times. Mm. Uh, 
And it does echo my my great mentor and friend Rollo May's work on anxiety. Rollo May was an existential analyst. He actually brought existential psychology to America in the 50s. And he wrote a book called The Meaning of Anxiety, where he was talking about the uh, the more uh, dimensions to anxiety than we realized back in the 50s. Mm. And it, he was worried about an overly mechanistic culture mm. that didn't recognize that anxiety, some degree of anxiety, can also be invigorating and is necessary to actually be on the edge of discovery, of possibility, of wonder. It just mm. usually goes along, goes goes together. And uh, so this book is a lot about bringing those fuller dimensions of anxiety out for a new generation. And given the skyrocketing anxieties that we have in our culture. And I, I think they're skyrocketing precisely because we're not addressing these deeper prior life enhancing anxieties that we're doing the opposite. We're doing the opposite. And, and, and so we have more destructiveness, more wars, more uh, hatred toward each other, bigotry, hmm. uh, political polarization. I think all these things are symptoms of having not confronted the, the deeper questions about what really matters about our lives and how are we going to use our time and space that we have because it's fleeting mm. and our awareness of death mm. uh, to live as fully and, and richly as possible. Yeah, this Purpose is absolutely fascinating for, for me because, you know, you're basically spelling out the psychological underpinning of something that I've been trying to understand and explore <laughs> myself. Oh, interesting. You know, something that I've I've come across, you know, bits and pieces here and there that that kind mm. of point to what you're talking about. Um, but you're mm. actually really uh, explaining, well, there was this person and, you know, he he brought this to America. And uh, this is why we, you know, we believe in, in this from this existential uh, point of, of view that, you know, that anxiety actually, you know, if we I mean, one of my questions was going to be, you know, can we have excitement? If we don't have anxiety, you know, how do we actually find those higher levels of, um, you know, of attention and high performance, you know, exactly. without actually experiencing some some anxiety? It's very hard to separate those those things. No? Yeah. And it sounds like that's that's the kind of, uh, you know, that's what you're talking about in this book. That is, that is. I, I'm, I'm very much talking about a, a kind of invigorating anxiety or vital mm. anxiety that we can get to if we can work through the discomfort, the unsettlement that facing uh, these deeper issues can can bring up. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, one of the problems I think in our very modern culture is that it's really so bent on eradicating anxiety. And that's part of what I'm talking about as a problem, because we have all kinds of ways of getting instant results. I mean, our, our, our whole culture is, you know, kind of predicated on speed, instant results, appearance and packaging. Yeah. You know, and we have devices that can 
that can accelerate that. We have ideologies that give us instant answers and often people in politics who promise, you know, these instant answers that, uh, that are very bankrupt in a lot of ways and are keeping us from confronting, um, again, more substantive ways of living that, that could enrich our lives, like more, you know, personally engaging ways of living. Mm, Greater creativity, which requires a degree of anxiety, uh, um, face-to-face encounter. I realize we're on a, you know, a device, but hopefully, you know, <laughs> we're talking about something that is more substantive than just, you know, something mechanical. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think the cultivation of presence is so key here. Uh, you know, being able to be more fully attentive to oneself and others and to notice more about one's world Mm. rather than getting caught up in all of these distractions and entertainments. I'm not saying that they they don't have a place. They definitely do. I get caught up in them. We, we all do. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is getting, getting them away from being the, the end all and be all of our lives Mm. and recognizing we got to put them down at major yeah. points and and really live more uh experience the the raw contact with nature mm. uh, with travel to the degree we can uh in our work lives uh hopefully more creativity and a sense of purpose and community mm. i mean there's so many ways that we can bring life enhancing anxiety to the fore that i, I describe in the book that i think is just crucial uh, for our times Mm, if we're going to make it as a species actually yeah Um, yeah yeah it's pretty profound and and uh you know it's so so important across so many different areas of of life that you know we're able to to experience what we're feeling um you know without without dumbing it down um you know, and a lot of the stuff you're talking about there, it kind of brings to mind this, um, you know, obsession with with dopamine that our, our society seems to have. Yeah, yeah. You know, we seem to want to distract ourselves continuously from our emotions. You know, through through short, sharp hits of of dopamine, and um, um, you know, it it may work in the short term but in the long term you know it's not a helpful strategy and you know it doesn't it does it just doesn't work you know well it it, it works commercially mm. unfortunately that's one of the problems is yeah. that uh the, the so-called dopamine hits that we get from net surfing or mm. getting reinforced by emojis or you know because our image was shared with other people and they're you know, excited about it or a certain, you know, very uh, sensational scene or photograph that we share maybe gets these quick thrills or something we see advertised, you know, we get constant 
bombardments of advertising mm. on our screens that uh, are, are very quickly rewarding somehow. Yeah, they, they, know, they know how to excite us, right, for at least mm. a moment. But so many of these thrills are are very fleeting, and they're yeah, and again, it's actually influencing our ability to to be able to to concentrate and focus like you were talking exactly. about is so important we yeah. you know the younger generation i i think it's uh being researched right now but i'm pretty sure it's it's been shown that younger generations are finding it harder and harder to pay attention to traditional um you know more traditional things like reading or you know watching a play or or, or things like they'll just exactly. paying attention sure. to a conversation with the boring exactly. parts of the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> Slowing down. Yeah. Staying with, again, the the ups and downs of a more naturalistic way of, of being. Mm, absolutely. I absolutely. should mention, though, we were talking about anxiety being necessary, a degree of anxiety being necessary for a more uh, engaging, substantive performance. There is a classic uh, uh, theory in psychology, the learning, the I'm sorry, the anxiety performance curve. Mm. So that might be a helpful way for people to look at life-enhancing anxiety. The anxiety performance curve indicates that uh, as anxiety goes up on the bell curve, performance also goes up. So a degree of anxiety, like when you're doing public speaking or you're maybe delving into something pretty deep with your partner mm. yeah, or a creative project that you're really wrestling with. That, that degree of anxiety going up is really powerful and can bring, you know, powerful uh, possibilities to that encounter. But it, it reaches a point where it, it, it then becomes, can become disabling. Mm. And that's the other part of the bell curve. So if anxiety goes too high, then uh, it's very difficult to to function at a certain yeah. point. That actually reminds me of um, of flow theory. What you were describing there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I, yeah, yeah. I know of his work, and I I knew of him too. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I think mean, I, I absolutely, uh, absolutely agree. Everything you're you're saying there, from from my personal experience as well. You know, when anxiety gets too high, um, you know, I, I, you know, I will fall apart un under that pressure, of course. And I think most people can. You know, I just want to say that, and I think that anxiety can go too high precisely because we haven't worked with that lesser anxiety mm. enough so that we can expand our capacity mm. to live with the, you know, uncomfortable or somewhat turbulent mm. impulses, feelings that can yeah. expand that curve. Mm, absolutely. Right. To, I mean, a big, a big part of, I think what I've, I've learned is, you know, to not resist the anxiety that actually, when it gets too high and it gets starts getting out of control is because I'm really fighting against it and I'm resisting it. And it's that that sends that bell curve out of control. 
That's a great point. It's, it is paradoxical, isn't mm-hmm. it? In some ways, the more you fight it and the more you, you're actually scrambling, you're in panic about it, the worse it often gets. Mm-hmm. I, I, that was why, you know, being learning to cultivate presence was so key for me in this process, not only as a young child, but later I had an existential analysis in graduate school when I had a great deal of anxiety, panic attacks. Um, and and that was the same learning, but in a, in a even more deep and enduring way mm. about the, the imperative of, at least for many people, not everybody, for me, uh, of staying with the most difficult places and, and feelings mm. and thereby being able to, in a sense, reoccupy those places I've blocked off. Yeah, yeah. In my whole body, not just in my head or changing behavior. Yeah, well, actually, that, that brings us in quite nicely into to OCD. Um, you know, you yeah. obviously you mentioned at the start that um, when you were younger, you were experiencing OCD symptoms. And, I was. Um, you know, and one of the major things about OCD is, uh, you know, uncertainty. Not, Absolutely. Yes. Not, yeah. <laughs> you know not <laughs> allowing uncertainty ap- you know absolutely doing everything that we can uh in order that's to right. reduce it um that's that's right well and i used to have a ritual uh as a kid of i remember that i've i had some of that you know don't step on the crack you'll break your mother's back kind of thing but mm. on the sidewalks I, I did some of that but a lot of it was around having to like hold my wrist somehow when I was getting scared and it'd be a very tense feeling. But if I would hold, it's like holding on to something Hmm. I held on, I felt like I'd warded off, but yeah, I mean, it, it it was basic panic um, Hmm. when when anxiety was reactivated. And uh, eventually again, thanks to the therapy and, and my own work on it, and and my frank frankly disgust with being imprisoned because that that's a big part of the work usually yeah is you're, you're seeing more and more you're revisiting that battle that you have between the part of you that's trying to break out and liberate yourself and the part that keeps crushing you mm. so you go around that enough times with a helpful witness um, you often get to the point where you you're not going to take it anymore yeah. That's kind of where I got to with some of the OCD. I felt and said to myself, damn, I'm, I'm, j- I'm not going to keep grabbing my wrist. I'm going to you know, experiment more and more. If I don't grab my wrist, what's going to yeah. happen? Yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, I survived. I was okay. It wasn't easy. It was terrifying at first. Um, but over time, and just staying concerted about not wanting to live a, a, a crippled life, basically. Mm. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Uh, that that helped pull me through a lot of the anxiety and OCD as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I don't know if that resonates with your experience too. 
Well, yeah, it really does. It really does. Because, you know, what you're what you're describing there is obviously, you know, exposure. Um, That's another way to put it. Yeah. But not just behavioral <clears throat> exposure. It's For me, it's a whole body experience. It's yeah, just yeah. what you can measure or see on the outside. Mm. It's also with feelings. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's putting yourself into that place of uncertainty. Yes, yes. You I'm really don't want to do it. I mean, it's, you know, uh, for whatever reason, the wrist was was something that for you was, you know, had become very difficult. And so in your mind, right. you know, not doing it, I imagine was was incredibly hard. Um, you know, yes. for me, there was all sorts of um different obsessions that I developed and every time I felt like you know for a long time was that I was doing all the wrong things I was trying mm -hmm. to use analytical thinking skills to disprove mm -hmm. the obsessions mm -hmm. um you know and, and uh getting lost in in circular the, the, the circular uh you know <laughs> um what uh, thing that you were just talking about you know going mm -hmm. around that loop of OCD having yeah. the obsession um mm -hmm. you know trying to 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 kind of push it away feeling a lot of anxiety trying to push mm -hmm. it away mm -hmm. feeling temporarily better yes. for a moment yeah. or two yes maybe a minute or two maybe yeah. even half an hour yeah yeah but then because you had to effectively perform a compulsion you know mm -hmm. by making yourself feel better reassuring mm -hmm. yourself in some way yeah. of course all that happens is you go back to the start and like that it gets worse and worse over time um yes and i think definitely what i what i discovered was that i had to stay in my uncertainty mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i had to like you were just describing i mm -hmm. had to learn how to come into the body um to let go of this which is incredibly hard probably the hardest thing in a way um Especially for us thinking types <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly they ruminate yeah <laughs> it's what we do if if you mm -hmm. have ocd then rumination is mm -hmm. you know normally a massive part of it and so yeah learning how to come into the body i mean so in the early 2000s when mindfulness started to become uh popular mm -hmm. Um, I started to find out about the work of John Kabat-Zinn and uh, oh, yeah. people, people mm -hmm. like this. His yes. work was incredibly helpful for me. I still didn't even know I had okay. OCD at that point. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But this, you know, that presence of, uh, you know, of learning how to be present to to what you're to what you're experiencing and to give up that battle. Um, you know, his work was was very helpful with that. But over the years, more and more. You know, I've been developing this ability to try to come into the body more, to focus more on those sensations. Um, you know, public speaking, for example, was something I know it's not OCD related. Obviously, it's it's more anxiety, okay. social anxiety. Um, but uh, it was incredibly hard for me at university to to get through those experiences. Um in the end, I, I actually ended up becoming a school teacher for for ten years. Yeah. Wow, interesting. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, you, you cured, in a sense, cured your uh, your malady 
through facing its opposite in some way. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a kind of, you know, well, it was something that I wanted to do anyway, but I thought this is uh-huh. also going to help me with with this. Yeah. yeah. You know. But you pursued it too, which is, yeah, I think, one of the great greatest things that we can do. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So still, there's still challenges with it. Um, you know, I'm still learning more and more to try to come into the body. Um, yes. And sometimes, you know, I forget. And sometimes I find it difficult um but it's it's an it's a it's an ongoing process and it's something that i feel enormously grateful actually that i've learned the importance of this and i'm able to share it with other people because for such a long time i was just doing the opposite and getting myself more and more stuck you know making myself miserable making the people around me miserable um i can so. relate yeah yeah well first you had to share it with yourself in a sense it sounds like you had to start with your own relationship to your your own being the mm. quality of your being yeah and then as you were able to make that more whole you could share that yeah with others yeah yeah yeah, it's it's been an interesting an interesting process. So, another question for for you then. So, how would you, if people listening are are wondering, how can I apply life enhancing anxiety to to my struggles with OCD? Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. What would you what would you perhaps advise them? Well, one. One suggestion, and again, I, I, I'm an integrative therapist. I, I call myself existential integrative because I believe that there are many, many paths to healing, uh, depending on one's desire and capacity for change. And that's a very important piece to it. But for those who have the desire and capacity for, let's say, deeper change and healing, I think experimenting with even brief moments where you are not giving in to the the obsession mm-hmm. or the compulsion. Um, let's say <clears throat> seeing what it's like to the degree you can, even for a few seconds, to maybe focus on your breathing as opposed to that thought that keeps going through and around and around uh, or, or that ritual that you've been doing so there's where the mindfulness could certainly be very helpful what what you want to do at least i think what's helpful for many is to keep expanding that window Mm. yeah creating that wedge of possibility and and inner freedom Mm. uh you know step by step can be helpful and this is where of course the psychotherapy and, and i believe for those who want to take the deeper journey uh, a depth uh, or existential psychotherapy often maybe a more intensive or longer term therapy can be 
very helpful as long as it's, it doesn't get caught in the ruminating we were just talking about, you know, yeah. where it's all uh, interpretations about your childhood, et cetera, which, you know, can be helpful for people at certain times mm. with certain issues, but it could also feed an OCD situation if, yeah. if you're just intellectualizing everything. And then, so that's why I agree with you in many cases, a therapy that provides a kind of exposure experience mm. uh, where a step-by-step and in a very supportive way, the therapist provides conditions where the, the client learns to stay more present to yeah. these difficult places. Yeah. Um, with phobias, which is somewhat related, I mean, I've gradually worked with somebody to envision what it's like as they begin uh, moving toward their phobia, just to, to visualize, mm. like somebody who is was afraid of heights, uh, terribly afraid of heights. And so we worked for, for weeks, uh, maybe months just with visualizations and helping him learn to stay more present to the visualization of how his day started. And then when the fear began and can he work with that? Can he see himself feeling a little more relaxed? We even use some behavioral methods Mm. to relax. Yeah. To eventually uh, walking him outside. My office has a landing that's about three floors up. And gradually we we walk to the landing and then he eventually was able to stand on the landing and he was eventually able to, as I stayed right with him, to actually look <laughs> down the 30 feet or so. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. It's giving yourself time to, uh, well, another analogy is uh, adjust to the, the the light in a dark basement, you know, to see that what you f- were terrified of and saw as totally threatening that was going to, you know, puncture you or, or maybe even kill you. That's probably the ultimate fear for many. Mm. is manageable somehow is not so often it's not nearly as harrowing as your fantasy about it there we go that's what you got to learn yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i really agree with that um Mm. okay and then obviously also you know you you are just kind of alluding to, to this here um but Obviously, you you started today by talking about your own personal trauma, um, how that led to to anxiety, and then you becoming a psychologist and this whole kind of life story, um, Mm -hmm. uh, really. Um, You know, so so we were we were speaking at the 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 start before the podcast about, um, you know, how often actually um, OCD might actually just be a symptom of of. Of trauma not always i mean i'm sure there's other complications there's other reasons for it but uh trauma can often be at the heart of a lot of this uh stuff and um you know sometimes talk therapy and an ocd you know sometimes people put it down um 
But I think, you know, it, it does have its place, obviously, because if there is trauma and if that is the underlying issue, no, then it, it does need to be to be dealt with. No. I I believe so, at least for many people, for deeper healing to occur. Not everybody wants that kind of depth or is willing to invest in it. Mm. But I, I think a whole lot more people do want it and are willing uh, than is generally recognized in the culture. And unfortunately, then is generally available to people to to have that space and the time yeah. to work with it. Because as you know, there's so much managed care in the mm. culture and so it's so medicalized that mm. uh, we have seems fewer and fewer spaces for that kind of healing. So that's something I feel very strongly about that we need almost a a kind of a uh, what is the word a, a, a public works program for making longer term in-depth therapy and, and mentoring uh, much more f- affordable and available in the culture. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that would be absolutely amazing. Um, but it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, obviously, there, there does need to be the, the necessity of helping people with OCD, of, of focusing on exposure and doing these things yes. to help them in the short term, or even sometimes it might take a bit longer to, to deal with mm-hmm. it better. And that is important. But at the same time, you know, are we just focusing on getting rid of the anxiety, getting rid of the problem? And then you can be a functional part of, you know, the system again and off you go rather than looking at the holistic, you know, health of that person. And and how can we actually create somebody who's truly authentic, who's really aligned with, you know, everything that they they want to be. And, you know, that's that's actually... Well, and that's where it gets into the the deeper anxiety that I would call the life enhancing anxiety. You mm. know that maybe we help a person adjust or deal with the surface anxiety, the surface obsession, compulsion. But what is their life like? Are they returning to the same old job or the same old relationship that may well have been part of the problem in the first place? Or are we helping them with the kind of the second half of the therapy, which is to find greater purpose and meaning in their yeah. lives yeah, and to confront the fuller and perhaps deeper anxieties that are keeping them from, from living more fully rather than skimming surfaces. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where the deeper exploratory therapy is so important. Mm. Um, in in helping a person find out more what what deeply matters about yeah. their lives now that they've got more of a handle on symptom aspects you know mm. uh, what so i i see therapy almost in terms of two questions and they're ongoing through the whole therapy and and often they're implicit questions not explicit and but that is how are you presently living so I invite people to check in with their present battle, like the part of themselves that's trying to break out and liberate in some way or towards some meaning, and the part that keeps crushing them down. 
And then the natural follow-up question, which is, okay, based on that, how are you willing to live? And that continually comes up over and mm. over because people are checking in with, okay, yeah, I'm wrestling with this and that, and I keep getting stuck here and, you know, keep, you know, feeling limited here. And okay, so how are you going to respond? That's mm. the existential emphasis on responsibility, mm. not only, uh, you know, the exploring part, but, and being in touch with what you're wanting and wishing, which is tremendous. That is a vital first step. Hmm. But how are you going to bring it into action? Yeah. How are you willing? How are you willing to live it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's really, uh, really powerful. Yeah. I Good feel. stuff. It's it's. I could carry on. Uh, you know, speaking to you about this <laughs> yeah. uh, for <laughs> forever. It's really interesting. Unfortunately, we we are running out of time. Um, if people want to to find out about you and to, to to find your book, how can they do that? Well, they can find the book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you know, online, uh, or at the uh, University Professors Press, an excellent publisher of the book. Uh, and they can find out more about me at kirkjschneider.com. K i r k letter J. S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R.com. Fantastic. That's my That's website. And it's Life Enhancing Anxiety. Key and to Insane World. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay, well, I really recommend people do check that, you know, that book out. I will be uh, definitely reading it myself, you know. It's, it's really fascinating. Uh, Kirk, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful talking to you. Likewise, Robert. Really enjoyed it appreciate it thank you just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session and now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer any information that you view on my website Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.